Well, praise God. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good. I have two things which I may or may not connect together. And I don't usually do this, but I had to like print it because they're two thoughts that connect, but they could also be distinct. And I'm just going to be led by the Lord here. I feel like I was going to be hard for me to scroll on my iPad, but I wanted to be able to be free to jump around a little bit. I want you to go with me in your word to the book of John. You can look to the screen, chapter 15. See, I'm already flipping over. I already cut out a whole bunch of pages, and I'm already going a few pages in here. I feel like Jeannie up here with papers and not enough room. (laughs) The iPad's got plenty of room up here. Look with me in the book of John, chapter 15. And it says, verse 1, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Verse 3, can we read verse 3 together? And just say, I, I have already been pruned and purified by the message Jesus gave us. Verse 4 says, remain in me. So Jesus is saying, this is the process. The Lord, the Father, right? I'm the, the, the vine and you're growing from me. It all comes from Christ. And God prunes us. He cuts off what does not bear fruit. So Jesus is warning us now in verse 4, And we've already been pruned. How are we pruned? By the message. The Word of God prunes us. And that's a key today. I want us to get that. Verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you. That's a promise. God's making a promise to us. doesn't say right here, this is a promise that I'm making like a covenant, but this is a covenant, an unwritten covenant an unwritten covenant here, but it's written in many other ways that if I stay in him, he'll stay in me. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. So this is a key, because he's talking about cutting. Everybody say, we're talking about cutting. So God cuts, but what you don't want to be is cut off, right? You want to be pruned, but not cut off. And there is a distinction here because he's using the same tool to cut you or cut you off. It is by his word. We can be pruned by the word or we can be judged by the word. Amen. And that's going to be the main point today. So it says, yes, verse 5. Actually, let me just uh, finish verse 4. A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot produce fruit. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will. Everybody say, will. You don't have to try to produce fruit. If you stay close to Christ, if you let the word in you, and you stay in the word, it is natural. You don't have to try to be a Christian. If you're trying to be a Christian, it's time to become one. Whoa, that was harsh. 
not for anybody in here. Maybe you're listening on the, on the podcast. If you are still trying, it's just time to become a believer. All right, there is no trying. We just are. You know, an apple doesn't try to be an apple. It just is, and it has seed within it. That's an apple, right? The seed is the same as what's inside of it. In God's word, if it has truly been planted in your heart, then your fruit will be what? Will be him. And then that means that what you've given out, right? They say that, you know, there's a saying, don't judge how you've raised your kids. Judge how your grandkids live. And I think that's a very interesting thing because that's really the picture of, of the true picture of what, and let me explain if you're, if you're still trying to figure out what I'm saying. Because your kids, you, don't, you know, you think you did a good job. Everybody thinks, okay, we did the best we could. But if they will raise their kids in the Lord as well, what you're seeing is actually that you taught them a much deeper principle than just trying to be good while they're in your home. But if they will instill in their children what you've instilled in them, that is like a true, that you've really taught someone, right? Kind of like the other saying, right? Teach a man to, uh, to fish, he'll fish for life, right? Versus just giving it to him, right? You can give to your children, but you really want to give them to something that they have. We need seed. God's put seed in us, and we are meant to give seed. We're not just meant to give concepts, right? You can't just give people concepts and show people Christian things. That doesn't do anything. But when it's real life in you, and you give real life, they will then have the same, it's the same exact power, it's just not grown yet. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that what is in you, my Bible says it, does yours say the same? The same power, right, is in me and in you that raised Christ from the dead. That's amazing. That is so powerful. So it says, anyone who does not remain in me, verse 6, is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. And such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Obviously, Jesus is actually, it's very clear here. This is, you know, sometimes people try to twist God's metaphors and turn his parables and into all kinds of things. I think this is extremely clear. You know, we've got the Father, we've got the Son, we've got the Word, and we've got some fire here, right? I think it's very clear what God's talking about. There is a place that he has for us, and that is in him. But if you don't want to stay in him, you don't have to. That's your choice. You don't have to to be a believer, although obviously he wants you there. That's where life is, because outside of him, he says, I have to cut you off. In fact, you know, as a gardener, that dead branch is actually draining life from the tree, right? Who's ever gardened before? The best thing you can do for the whole of the plant is to cut off the dead. You prune, and then you remove completely the dead. You got to get the dead out of there, and you got to prune the good, and that will actually produce life. If you leave wild branches, right? We don't want to be wild. We want God to prune us because that will bring life, not just to you. You will produce more life, but to the whole body. And if you are dead, He must remove you for the sake of his kingdom. Isn't that amazing that God is so good? He gives us a picture here. He's given us a parable, a picture here of what he's doing really in the spirit 
for the sake of his kingdom, to the church, and for us as individual believers. It says, verse 7, But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. So what is remaining in him? How does he remain in us? It's very clear. Some people say, I'm in Jesus, and he's in me. I don't need the word. Well, that doesn't make sense because he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. What did he say we were pruned by? We were pruned by the word. Jesus is the word made flesh. So the Bible, the word of God, actually does a cutting. We're going to get into this a little bit today. It does a pruning. The Bible prunes us. It cuts us. It shapes us. It molds us to... Uh, the image of Christ ultimately, but while that's doing an amazing work inside of us, he's also bringing fruit out of us. Only God can do that, right? Only God can uh, do what looks like a massacre in your life, right? Who's been cut down to a stump, and yet God does so much in your life and through your life, right? You've been cut down. It doesn't look like there's anything left of you. But you know what? His seed is in you. His DNA is in you. And then all of a sudden, life begins to grow out of you, right? Who has had him remove more than you would have liked to have removed? But it was for your good. And ultimately, what is fruit for? Are you eating your own fruit? Fruit is not for you. The fruit is for others, right? You are a part of his kingdom to produce fruit. Why? Because other people need your seed, the same seed that was in you, because you're connected to the vine, you need to give, and they'll become, the Bible says, grafted in. He takes them, and he does something supernatural. They don't just eat of that seed and say, okay, now my own apple tree, right? But he grafts them in to his vine. And so it says, it's my word that must remain in you, and if you do, then you'll ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Now, this is a scripture that people have taken out of context and twisted it, and then they lost faith in God because he didn't do anything they said. He didn't say, I'm a genie in a bottle. He said, remain in me, and my words remain in you. You know, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you read the word, the more you begin to pray for each other and to, to fend for the faith, the more your prayers become honed down to be his will and not just some frivolous desires. And then you start to see, wow, he does give me some frivolous desires just because of his goodness, not just because I'm good at asking. He just gives me those things. But the things that he's told me to ask him for, he says, ask for these things, ask for this nation, ask for this person to be saved. Those things are already in my heart. I already felt a pulling to begin to pray for this person. And you just think, I don't know why I thought of it. I just need to pray for this person. It was the Lord already telling you. And so now you're praying according to his will. And you can find that mirror in the book of 1 John. For time, we're not going to go there. But you'll see in 1 John that John actually expounds on this concept and says, Any, ask anything according to my will. Well, how do you get the will? It's very simple. Remain in me. If the word of God is in you, then you're not going to be asking for frivolous things. It's okay. You know, the thing is, I tell my kids all the time, you have not because you ask not. You know what? Ask the Lord. But then say, Lord, if it's not your will, and people are afraid to do this, they think it's a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith. I want the Lord's will, right? If Jesus could pray that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless, thy will be done, then I think it's safe for us 
in faith to say, Lord, I would like a Ferrari. But you know what? If that's not in your will because it's going to pull my heart away or distract others around me, then don't give it to me. And we should be man or woman enough to pray those prayers and say, this is my request. You know what? It might be frivolous, and I might just be in delusion right now, but Lord, you'll make it clear what you want for me. And then the Lord gives you the thing that you really need and not just the thing that you're asking for. We think he didn't answer. Meanwhile, he did answer, just not in the way, shape, or form that you asked. Wow, that was a mouthful. But what I'm trying to see is that there is this picture, and this is because this is like a kind of a part four. I've been talking about how far we'll go. Because all the way back three weeks ago, I talked about in John 6 how a group of people got offended. It says the disciples, they walked away from Jesus because they didn't like some of the things he said. And what I want us to see is this is, what, here's another picture, and I have so many examples, I can just go through the word and show you that to those he loves, he disciplines. Right? Right? If you want to be a son, right? The old text, come on, you want to go to your King James? What's he call you? Ill, we say illegitimate. Right, but there's a word there. It's a, it's not a word we use anymore. It's a curse word today, right? It starts with a B. But basically, uh, you know, if if you are not disciplined, then you are an illegitimate child. And this is the picture. This is what growth is. It, there's an irritation, right? Tony Ann and Evelyn, we've been talking about it from a teacher, right? You irritate your students temporarily, hopefully not all year, but they get irritated that they don't understand. But the whole point is to then understand, I will teach you, I will help you, don't get irritated, although the irritation is natural in the beginning. This is trying to learn how to do anything. But we see that God is faithful to us. He says, I'm the gardener. God's, God the Father says, I'm the gardener. Don't think you need to do it yourself. I'm going to prune some things. I'm going to help you. I'm going to cut out some things from your life that are not good from you, and I'm going to add some things in your life that you don't even know you need. And what I'm going to get into here is that he uses the word of God. That's how God does it. And he does it just because, I could say. I could literally just say just because, and that should be enough. Because he's God and that's his word. But I actually have some explanation, and it's because there is safety in his word. It has been so confirmed and crisscross confirmed, right, Don? You've been studying this and seeing that this Bible is so perfect. It just doesn't make sense. There is no book in the world that has ever been written that all these different writers over thousands of years were able to tell the same exact story with such an amazing um, uh, crisscross correlation, cross-reference, whatever you want to call it, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And it never, ever ends. You could keep digging. You can get weird. You can get scientific. You can get mathematic. The Bible is, it's unbelievable. People have done it. There's things called the Bible code. It came out when computers were, still had green on the screen. Some of you kids don't know what I'm talking about. But yes, the screens were black and green. Black with green letters. Well, anyway, that's when this Bible code came out. They started figuring out that, wow, there's like a code here, and we don't live by weirdness, but it was just showing the perfection and order of God. It all goes back to his word, and he does it because it's a compass. It's safe. So what the Lord does is the way he prunes, it says it right here, verse 3 for John 15, you've been pruned by the message. And then he says again, 
What is to remain in? And, and so, because of that, that's what puts you in the vine to begin with. And how do you stay there? Stay in my word. And so what happens is, is we read something or we hear something, a preacher says, and we don't like it. I'm thinking of Casey and Branna, private situation a long time ago, got really irritated at me. But it was the word of the Lord. You know, and it was what you needed. And look at how happy, look at how blessed you two are, by the way. But that's what it is. The Lord irritates us because it's an area, you know, when, when if I was a plant, I wonder what it feels like to have your limbs all cut off. You know, do plants feel? I don't know. We're like, it's for your good, I swear. We're taking the head trimmer. <laughs> it's going to make you nice, right? This is what God's doing to us. And we're like, for my good, doesn't feel very good. I don't like this. But there's life inside you. He's getting the junk. He's just cutting the junk off, and he's shaping you. And that's what he does. And he says, he says right here, he says, then, then, see, then we can ask anything. It'll be granted because now you are pure. Now you're asking from a position of Christ and not a position. Of, it's not you anymore. You're not asking for you. What would Christ ask? That's what I want to pray. I want to pray those things. And like I said, you know what? Pray the frivolous things. Bring it before him. I'll say it again. And let the Lord sort it out. And we could see that again. There's, a, there's other things I could show if we have time to, to, to prove that. But I don't know. We'll get into it. So for now, we'll just leave that there. So he says in verse 8, and when. Everybody say when. As in, this is how it's supposed to be. When. So if you do it my way, if you trust me, you follow me, you stay in me, this is what's going to happen. You will produce fruit, period. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Who wants to be a disciple of the Lord? And this is important because in John 6, it says many disciples. Everybody say that word. Disciples walked away. What did Jesus tell the disciples in the Great Commission? Right? Preach the gospel, yes. That's the, the surface, preaching the gospel. That's how it's done. It's with the message. But what's the other part? And make disciples. So the gospel goes out, and its purpose is some just hear it. Just come on, this is the seed, right? The seed's being cast. It's, some, it's just bouncing off the ground, bouncing off some ears. Some people it sinks in and it's surfacy. Some people get crowded out by things of this life, right? But then for others, it sinks down deep. They grab a hold of it and it begins to grow in them and actually takes root. And that is ultimately the picture of what Jesus did. He poured himself into the 11, and then they poured themselves into others, and then you pour yourself into someone else. That's the picture. And it's the same way for, if we're going to look at plant life, right, a plant has a couple of things going on. It has life that it has by, without, it can't say I'm here because I made myself. Something put it there, right? But within that plant, every single plant that grows also has a seed within it. It's going to give out what it has. That's its picture. And when it doesn't, come on, it's not rocket science. Some people think that this is 
gets like judgmental. You know, oh man, God's saying that if I don't do stuff, he's going to kill me. He's going to take me out. I'm, I'm going to go in the fire. What do you think the fire is? It's hell. If I don't do what God's told me to do, he's going to send me to hell. It's not, you know, then, then your whole head is wrong. Your whole mentality is already off. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, stay in me. Stay close to me. We're not even, ta- we're not even supposed to be talking about the danger for you. It's not even supposed to be, you know, you might get cut off. You might not get cut off. It's like, no, I'm just going to stay close to the Lord. And I'm going to let him do what he needs to do in me. And if I do that, it's not even a thought. Come on. What mature believer think? Do mature believers think about maybe you'll go to hell? We shouldn't. We don't even think about it. Why? Because we're so close to the Lord. That's not pride. That's because you know you're remaining in him. But when somebody's in that place where you're like, I don't know today. You know, at that point, what you need to, to see that you're not in him. There is no in between. You can, if the branch is dying, it's dying. It's dead. It's already got dead DNA inside of it. It's already been pulled away. If it's, if it's dead out here, come on, it's not rocket science. This is so simple. If a branch is dead, you can't say, well, I'm still in the vine. I'm still in Christ. Christ put me there. He's not, Christ is not going to cut me off. He doesn't do that, right? Christ is not going to cut off what he made. And you have to see that it's not Christ. He's not doing it. I have unlimited life available for you. You must remain in me. You know, I, I, I was meditating on this because God's grace is free, isn't it? It's a free gift, and it's so amazing. Like, when you really get grace, you really do realize. I mean, there's such a revelation of its freeness. Come on, isn't it? And its power. But there's this other place. There's this in-between place where somebody's really, they're dabbling, they're wandering, they're wondering. And in that place, grace is very gray. It's, it's spelled G-R-A-Y-C-E, right? It's grace. It's a different type of grace. And thank God that the Lord loves us so much he doesn't just strike us with lightning the moment that we, go, we move off track, correct? Isn't that amazing? But that's not the grace that he designed for us. That's not what grace means. Grace is really an empowering, empowering me. It's an empowering. It's not a crutch. And the thing is, as free as grace is, here's the crazy thing. We all like to say, it'll cost you nothing. And it's a lie. I don't see one verse that says it costs you nothing. It just says that you could do nothing. We, I mean, the Bible is, it'll, you could do nothing to earn it. And it was there before you even sinned. Before you even decided to sin, it was already there working for you. But there's not actually a scripture that says it costs you nothing. If we want to preach without using Christianese and just copying another preacher and I just go to my Bible, my Bible says it'll cost you everything. Everything. My Bible says you must give your life to me. My Bible doesn't say make a confession. Now, we can take things out of context. It says confess and believe and you will be saved, right? But Dawn and I were just talking. I can also go to the Old Testament and take single scriptures. It says don't wear cotton and linen. Anybody in here mixing fabrics today? Don't wear cotton and linen together. Well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, but you're taking a concept. First of all, it's Old Testament, New Covenant, Old Covenant, first of all. Second of all, it's completely out of context. So in the context of who God is and his grace and his mercy and his love, 
All right, the whole picture from Genesis to Revelation, we see that, yes, wow, Lord, you were on the cross before I even was born. So I could, it's not like you did it because I sinned. You did it before I even sinned, which means you were already ready to love me. That's why the Bible says, while we were still sinners. And yet, to come to him, we must give up everything. You must lay down your life. That's the gospel. This is not my own interpretation. This is the Bible. Now, a lot of times, a preacher picks and chooses and cherry-picks scriptures to make the gospel sound very sweet and appealing to the unbeliever, to the world. And I'm not opposed to not necessarily telling every little detail about the whole, our whole faith you know, right there on the street. I'm not opposed to that. But I'm concerned that that's all that it ever is. And what the Lord's doing in this church is challenging this church. He's challenging us, isn't he? Because there was a disciple that said, it's too much for me. You know what? I loved the freedom. I loved the grace, the G-R-A-Y-C-E. I love that. But now that you're asking something of me, something that I don't understand, something that's going to require of me, a cost to my life. It was fun so far, but I'm done. And how many did we see walk away like that? Like Dawn and I were raised in the church, so, you know, like youth groups were like basically breeding grounds for hell. I mean, seriously. Like, it, it's, it's, it's so few that actually are still following the Lord today. It's so sad. And all the seed was there, but the lures of this world, right, the desires of this life dragged and pulled them away. Now, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, because God's faithful. They're not dead yet. God loves them, that those seeds are still bouncing around, right, as, as if their, their ground is like hard ground and, and distracted ground. But I just pray there's still some seed, and, and one day they're just like, you know what? I remember, I remember that, that children's church, that Sunday, you know, that, that youth group. I remember that Friday night, Lord, where you touched me, and they come back. I pray that, but that's the only thing I can pray because I'm reading my word. I'm not judging the individual. I'm, I'm generalizing, right? You know that I don't point to particular people, so a generalization of those, I'm looking and saying it looks pretty dead to me. And if I was to read my word, you can, and if they disagree, they can read the word and they can judge themselves. But here's the word. It sounds like you haven't remained in him. It kind of seems simple. You didn't remain, so then you died. Remain in me. What happens if you don't? And how do we know? It's, very, it's really obvious. If you're dead and dry, then it's been a long time. Because who knows, like a branch doesn't just die instantly overnight. It's the first thing, the first sign is it doesn't have fruit. So, you know, you really do see God's grace here, even though that this is not, I'm not trying to give you a, a, a grace sermon. You do see his grace here that it takes him some time. You didn't produce fruit for a long time until you finally shriveled up and dried and it's time to cut you off. And I think that that's ultimately is, if you really want to be honest, it's, that's the end of your life. You know, that's the picture. He's not, he, there's nobody, I, I disagree so strongly there is no such thing that God says you're a lost cause. If you still have oxygen in your lung and you're still on that vine, I think when he finally cuts that person off, it's just their last breath, that's all.
And you're either in or you're out. Wow. Praise God. So God uses, he uses his word, and let's go now, and let's look at how he uses his word. He, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to see with me in Hebrews 4, and we'll start in verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. I think we'll probably leave it there at 12 as well. Get any deeper in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, it says what? Come on, we all know this verse so well. You may know it in your translation, but either way, right? The word of God is living, right? It's alive. It's powerful. Say the word of God is alive. Let me just pause right here. Who has felt like you were far away from the Lord and you didn't say, let me be religious and read my Bible. You said, you know what, Lord, I want to get close to you. You opened up his word. Maybe for the first couple of minutes, it's just, it is religion. And then all of a sudden, you're reading it, and you're like, wow, Lord. Wow, I'm, I missed something. Who has felt strengthened by the Lord just by spending time in his word? Come on, it is a living word. And it's, again, I'm going to keep saying it. It's not rocket science. If we think we don't need it, it's just a slippery slope. That's exactly it. I mean, it's very simple. And, 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 and just that, I'm not saying that, you know, you missed your Bible reading one day, God sends you to hell, but it's a very slippery slope. It becomes, becomes one day, two days, two weeks, right? It becomes dusty. Things don't get dusty overnight. If there's dust on top, right? We don't all have physical Bibles, but you guys get my metaphor. If it becomes dusty, it's been too long. But it says that it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God gets inside you and it begins to do a sorting job. And we see here, what is John 15? How does he prune? He prunes with the word. How did Jesus offend? He offended with the word. You see that it's all the word. When Jesus speaks, that's the word, right? It's his voice, that's the word. When the word is spoken, you either say, Lord, I believe it or I don't. I believe your word or I don't. And I began to point out last week that that was really the beginning. You can actually see this dialogue in John chapter 6 that they begin to argue. They're arguing amongst themselves and arguing with Jesus. But he's, he's, they're arguing with his words, not arguing with him personally. And, but Jesus hears it, so you might as well just argue with him. Because he says to them, why are you complaining? So obviously, he's listening to it in his spirit. They think that it's this personal thing. Let me... You know, Lord, I believe you, and I believe this. I just don't believe that. I think this is interpretation. That's interpretation. That's what they think. This is what they think. And we just go back to what did Jesus say? What does the word say? Right? Because their debate was, well, this is a hard thing to understand, and I don't get it. And that'll happen. It's going to happen to you. I promise you that someone's going to say something that you don't like. Someone's going to say, this is what the Lord says, and you're not going to like it. Go to the word. What did Jesus say? And if the Lord says to do it, if he says not to do it, there's really not a lot of confusion. We just go to, this, to the word, and there it is. And it says here, 
that what happens is something supernatural is happening, though. The word is actually going inside, and it will do a sorting job for you. You don't have to try and say, you know what? That scripture really speaks to me. Let me try and do that. Already, there's a tug in your spirit. You're like, something's not right. You just know it. You already know when the words, and you just gloss over them. <laughs> Read it really fast. It doesn't apply to me. Like Colossians 3, verse 18. That's for our Bible study this week. <laughs> Which says, actually, I love the part that says, husbands, love your wives, right? Everybody loves to say, wives, submit to your husbands. But it also says, husbands, love your wives. And you know how it says to do it? As Christ loved the church in Ephesians. You know how Christ loved the church? He was crucified to a cross. He was so brutally beaten that he was unknown as a man, which means you want to be a man, you got to lose your manhood, got to lose your identity. That's how much we got to love our wives. Anyway, commercial break over. Just being silly because we're all joking about our favorite Bible verse for Colossians on Tuesday, and we're going to be starting in verse 18. So the Lord is doing something. There's this supernatural thing that happens. The word actually begins to sort inside you without you trying. It begins to redefine inside you. At first, it's irritating, like a knife cutting your flesh. We don't have time, but I want you, you in your own time, you can look with me. Just go ahead and take a look at some scriptures here. In Colossians chapter 2 talks about a circumcision that is not physical but spiritual, that Jesus did a circumcision on us when we were baptized. We died and were baptized with him. But circumcision was a painful experience. The very first time that it was done, they were adults. They were not babies who, it's painful for a baby too, but they were very aware of what was happening and had to rest for three days. But it was a process of cutting away flesh. That's the picture. There's nothing pleasant when God comes to cut away our flesh, but it is for our good, and ultimately it is a covenant that he, he's saying, if you want my covenant blessings, you want my covenant love, we're going to have to cut away your flesh. That's simple. Simple in concept until you're like, but I don't want to give up this area. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And the Lord says, you are not letting me fully cut away your flesh right now. Let me cut this thing out of your life. So something supernatural is happening. The word is actually doing a work. It's so powerful in you without you even trying. Now, for sake of time, we don't need to turn and look at all of these, but Isaiah 55, verse 11, says that his word, when he sends it out, always produces fruit. His word always produces fruit. Now, I'm not saying to judge your brothers and sisters or other people out there. Don't go around, because we're talking today, you know, about youth groups growing up into adults, and it looks like they're dead. I'm not going to go up to them and say, hey, by the way, I think you're dead. I'm not going to be a judgmental Christian. I'm going to take them to prayer. 
bring them before the Lord. I'm just saying that this is a reality, but this does not make us high-minded or judgmental. Amen. And we, but we must see that the Bible does say it will always produce fruit, which means if there is no fruit, it's very simple. If you don't have fruit in your life, then maybe you have drifted far away from him. We should have fruit. And you know what I just want to say, commending for our little church. I see so much fruit here. This place is a fruit basket. <laughs> You're a bunch of fruitcakes. I see a lot of fruit. I've seen so much fruit from this church, and I'm just so proud to see the fruit that the Lord has produced here, really. So I just want to say that just to encourage you. But that's the Bible, isn't it? There should be fruit. And it's not trying, right? Do you think Dan tries to be joyful? Do you think he gets up in the morning and he's like, I'm going to try to be joyful today? I think at times he's, he reminds himself of what the Word says. Maybe he's having a bad day. But he is so joyful because it's actually this. That process in Hebrews 12 worked in him. Something went inside him and said, hey, Dan, that's soul. That's soul. That's you. This is me. This is me. This is me. This is the word. And right, there was a, a, a cutting. It was a dividing. And the soul is now bowing its knee to the spirit of God inside of him. And he just is joy. There's no trying. Amen? I'm not saying we all have to be as joyful as Dan. But you have your own fruits. There are many fruits. Aren't we thankful there's many fruits? Right? You might just be a really thankful, right? There's faithfulness and thankfulness, gratefulness. Obviously, those are just some very surface fruits. There's deeper fruits, too. But the Bible says that the Word of God in Ephesians 6 is a sword. So it's, it will always produce fruit. His Word produces fruit. But His Word is also, Hebrews 12, tying this together, is a sword. He, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 2. My words of judgment are as sharp as a sword. In Revelation 1, we see a picture of Jesus. It says in Revelation 1, verse 12, And I turned to he to see him who was speaking. Verse 13, it was the Son of Man. It's the Revelation 1. Verse 16 says, it says in verse 16, it says a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. Now, this is just a picture. I want us to see something here. The Lord loves us. He corrects us. He challenges us. He prunes us. He does not judge us, but one day. Come on, everybody say one day. Aren't you amazing? just amazed by his grace? That's real grace. That's grace. Not, I'm going to see what I can get away with. It's that he gave us time to deal with things, to repent, to turn to him, and to, to fully submit. Amen? That's real grace, that he gave us a chance to do that and didn't just judge us. But if you look in Revelation 1, and then you look at Revelation 19, that same sort, that word eventually comes to judge. I remember as a child, my father would warn me, Come on, you already know where I'm going. Adam, and man, I got warned a lot. 
And then everybody goes, what I do when judgment comes? What I do? <laughs> I wasn't as much like that. It was more my brother. I never thought he did anything wrong. Oh, wow. Good thing he doesn't listen. <laughs> I was more like, okay, just get it over with. I know I'm wrong. He cried, what did I do for like an hour? I'm, making, I'm not making fun of him. I'm making a point that once the Lord comes for judgment, you know, we're confused. But he's given us so much time. He challenges us first. First you challenge, then you judge, right? You don't give students a bad grade the second they make a mistake. But by the end of the year, you know, the teacher knows if this child is just not applying themselves. And even still, it's not like I'm saying that you're a stupid kid, right? We would never say that. It's like, hey, I've got, I've got help for you. We can get you into summer school. We can even, if we got to hold you back for a year, and that might not seem ideal, but we're going to do that so that you can what? Just stay stuck? No, so you can go through it again and grow. And who's been through your grade many, many times in the Lord? Who's been stuck in sixth grade in the Lord for a long time? The Lord's like, we're just going to do it again and again. Right? We used to call that concept going around the mountain in Christianity. Who's ever heard that concept, going around the mountain? We could get into that. There's a reason for that. That's the, that comes from the wilderness experience, right, going around the mountain. And the Lord just like, you know, until we get this right, why does he do that? Is, he, is God sadistic? Does, does he like sadistic? Does he like to watch us suffer? Of course not. He loves us so much. So my point is that he warns, he guides, he challenges us. That's love. It's love. His word is filled with love. And you know what his word is filled with? Commandments. It's, you could say all these are all judgments, right? The unbeliever who comes into a church and just visits one time, they're like, they're all looking at me, they're all judging me. No one's judging you. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you, convicting you. But judgment does come one day, one day that same sword in his mouth that is just there to cut and shape and form and, and give you life. Ultimately, it's for your good. You're going to produce life, but one day it does come to judge. Praise God that we are going to be on white horses with him in Revelation 19. Amen, right? We're not going to be those that the word is coming to judge, and we should never, ever be excited that the Lord's doing that and that he's going to do that. It's just a reality of the gardener. Eventually, I'm going to have to cut this dead thing off. That's just how it is. There, is. there comes a day. Praise God that we are those that are saying, Lord, challenge me. Lord, I'm willing to be cut. Lord, I'm willing to be pruned. Lord, I don't even know what it is. You think you know what's best for you? You think, a, you think a rose bush is smarter than you? When you go to cut it, don't you think the rose bush is arguing in its head? What are you doing? It's a perfectly good plant, right? It's a perfectly good stem right there. But you're like, well, it's not the shape that I had in mind. And I'm the gardener. I can do whatever I want. And ultimately, you may argue all you want, but it's for your good. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God good? We're going to leave it there. Look at, see? That's why I paperclipped that. I was like, this is probably another sermon, but I'm not sure. I'm going to bring it up there, Lord, because if you want to say it today, you say it today. I wanted to be faithful, but I had another sermon here apparently at the same time. I had a feeling, but we're just going to give him praise and honor. Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. Lord, I thank you that we are the disciples, Lord, that are growing 
and you're doing it, Lord, the way we grow is we hear your word. It cuts us, but then, Lord God, it produces more life than we had before. Lord, when you cut out one thing, you produce a hundred things in us. I thank you, Jesus, that the sowing, Lord God, of your word into us, Lord, it's producing an abundance of crops. And so I just give you glory, and I give you honor, and I give you praise. We just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.